Welcome to the Ferris Love Podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. With the holidays quickly approaching and the often increased stress and overwhelm that accompanies that time, for our final episode of season three, we put together a compilation of tips from our experts on dealing with stress. Here you'll hear from mom coach Sterling Jaquith, counselor Catherine Denuso, and therapist Julia Hogan-Werner. We hope you enjoy and that it helps you live a less stressful, joy-filled holiday season. There's no manual for parenting, right? So I think it's really good for us to have these conversations because we all become parents Mm -hmm. and no one knows what they're doing and we're all trying to figure it out. And so I love capturing this wisdom on this podcast. It's kind of like recreating meeting women washing their clothes at the river, right? That's how we used to learn from each other and we don't have that anymore. So I feel like podcasting Mm -hmm. is kind of recreating that. I think the biggest thing to know is that one, we're not taught about our human brain. We're not taught about stress. And so something like we're walking around 70 or 80% of our day in a pretty high stress state and you don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. You don't even realize that your body is freaked out, that it thinks something is really wrong. And, And the way that our brains were designed when something was stressful, it it redirects blood to different places in your life. You actually, uh, it stops producing saliva because it's like, hey, you don't need to worry about that right now. We're not eating. We need to not die. And so mm-hmm. all these crazy things happen in our body when we have a stress response and they were meant to happen for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But when the scary thing is your calendar, when right. the scary thing is waking up and thinking about your day, then mm-hmm. it's with you all the time. So how do we... I don't know, start to notice signs mm-hmm. of feeling stressed. Yeah. So a big one for me is noticing when I'm holding my breath Oh, and it's, it's a funny thing, but when I'm kind of stressed or I'm worried or I'm thinking about something, I am holding my breath and then I'll, I'll catch myself with a, take a deep gasp, like a deep breath. Oh. And And it kind of shows me, oh, I was just low level anxious. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't breathing, which is just, just a stress response where you're kind of paying attention to your environment. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big key for me. And now I just really, I I have so much awareness of it and you're going to practice. I mean, that's the answer for everything is you're going to practice kind of taking your own temperature throughout the day and going, Hey, do I feel really calm right now? But if you begin to go, am I regulated? Which means Mm -hmm. can I have a normal and controlled emotional response to what's Mm -hmm. happening to me? That's, that's what we want to shoot for. Mm -hmm. And then as you become more aware of whether you're stressed or not, the, the steps I want you to take is just to notice, Mm. oh, I'm in a stress state right now. And then if you notice that you're in a stress state, we're doing absolutely nothing else until we calm our nervous system down. We try to jam through our analytical problem solving, but Mm -hmm. literally the blood is being redirected away from your brain. So you're just really dumb. I want you guys to internalize this. You're just really a dumb, dumb. Okay. When Mm -hmm. you are in a stress state, which is why so many moms talk about being confused. There's just fogginess there, but I want you to know that there's fogginess because your brain is doing its job. Mm-hmm. It thinks you're in danger and it's redirecting your systems mm-hmm. so that you don't have access to your thinking brain. And that's, this is going to show up in two major ways. Okay. So some of you 
are going to be hyper aroused, right? Mm-hmm. You're like cleaning, you're running around the house, you're flipping through papers, you're looking through your phone. There's going to be kind of this frantic energy, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's a what we might put in the bucket of a flight response, mm-hmm. right? You're just trying to run away from this feeling. Mm-hmm. And so you get really busy. Some of you are stress exercisers, okay? <laughs> and like exercise is a healthy thing, but if you're stressed out and that's, that's how we're running, right? Mm-hmm. Then the just think about the cortisol being pumped through your system as you're running. Like it just mm-hmm. is a very different experience than when you're running out of love. Sure. For yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's like hyper arousal. But the first thing is just to notice it mm-hmm. and be so gentle with yourself. I want all of you, when you notice that you're stressed, to just start with the, the words, of course. Of mm-hmm. course, I'm stressed right now. Mm-hmm. All the humans. All the humans would feel stressed because we have judgment immediately Mm -hmm. is usually our first response. And so when we see the stress, just, oh, of course I'm stressed right now. My Mm -hmm. brain thinks one of the kids is going to die or, you know, we don't have any money or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to be stuck in little kid land forever, whatever it is. Right. Just like love your brain because it's trying so hard. It loves you and it's trying so hard and it's just misfiring. But when you meet it with acceptance and compassion, it's so much easier than to get out of a stress state instead of resisting it and judging it and being mad about it. Mm-hmm. Really, it's it's just been such a short time mm-hmm. that women didn't die in childbirth and mm-hmm. simple diseases didn't take us out. And, you know, there are still people obviously who struggle with hunger in the world, but in general, most, most people listening to this podcast are in a first world country and don't sure. worry about that. Right. Um, exactly. And so I just want you to know that for forever and ever and ever, the brain was programmed to, to look out for these things. And now it's kind of just confused. It really just doesn't know what to do. It's like, we solved all of its major problems mm-hmm. and that's why what to make for lunch, not knowing what to make for lunch for your kids feels like a really big problem. Anything that helps you come back to that peaceful place. And I recommend making a list of five or 10 things mm-hmm. and, and do it when you're calm. But then, you know, I like taping things up in the inside of my cupboard in my kitchen because you're mm-hmm. usually kind of near near that area. Sure. And then you can open it up and it's going to say something like drink a glass of water at different times of day. That's when you might take a bath, mm-hmm. right? You might go for a walk. You might need to eat something which sure. I think is fun. Sometimes we're stressed because we're just hungry or we hadn't, haven't had enough water. And so yeah. make the list for you. Really just think mm-hmm. about what calms you down. It might be music, but some of you might be completely overloaded sensory-wise and music would make it way worse. Right, exactly. Right? So it's, it's going to be different things. One of the reasons why we go through something challenging, we're willing to experiment mm-hmm. and fail and be wrong, is if we believe that it's worth it. If we believe that it's worth it. And so I want all of you to know right now, I super duper promise because I just do this with just hundreds of moms. It is possible to mm-hmm. be way less stressed than you are. I think particularly as Americans, we just have this idea that like, well, this is it. Modern society is just really fast paced and we're all have to do this now. Mm-hmm. But you really, really don't. I was just talking to a mom And she's been doing this work for almost two years. And she was saying, I'm just so happy and things are so much better. I'm a little worried 
that something bad is going to happen. I'm like, yeah, that's actually how it feels when you start healing your life. Mm -hmm. You think I can't be this happy. I can't, it can't be this good. Mm -hmm. And you worry that, that something bad is going to happen. So I just, I want all of you to know that it's possible and well worth the effort. Sometimes when we see how stressed we are, we're Mm -hmm. like, how can I believe in God Mm. and allow all of this stress and we feel this this sense of shame about it mm. and that's why i love that phrase of course like of course mm-hmm. i feel like this no time in history have we raised children this alone like mm. no time have you not been surrounded by other women to help you mm. it has never been this hard mm-hmm. um, emotionally right sure. so again previously there was disease and maybe a lack of food but like there was togetherness in that right and now right. We just don't have that. And so saying, of course, will really help take the shame out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, and no one teaches us this. So of course you're struggling with it Mm -hmm. until the day that you, until the day that you learn about it. We won't necessarily do this work for ourselves. Maybe Mm -hmm. our self-worth is low. Maybe we feel like we're too busy, but if I can get you guys to do this with your kids, Mm -hmm. the same thing will happen for you. So if you start paying attention to your kids Mm -hmm. and you start noticing their stress responses, and just remember you guys, you guys are kind of dumb and you're a bad problem solver when you're in a stress state. And so, you know, I, I, notice that even when I'm with my husband, if we're having intense conversation and I kind of feel my body start to feel stressed, Mm -hmm. um, if I have the presence of mind, I'll say, Hey, we need to stop this conversation. I need a couple minutes Mm -hmm. to come to calm my nervous system down. And then we can have this conversation again, because I know it will not be a productive conversation. We are not asking God specific enough questions. Mm. A lot of us are praying and we're just like, ah, it hurts. Like just some version of like, Lord, this life, it hurts. And I want you to, to bring more things to him, be much more specific and be like, Lord, you know, how do you want me to show up with this kid? How do you want me to, to care for my home? How do you want me to, to see myself more the way that you do, Lord, like really begin asking him much more specific questions and he will answer it. And the more you do that, you will be filled with conviction and conviction. We don't feel stress when we feel conviction. It actually doesn't feel like fear. We walk into it and we're like, yes, God has made me for this. He asked me to do this. I'm going to do it. What is it about the culture that has moms feeling so stressed and overwhelmed? You know, nowhere in any history did we build cultures that are so isolated as much as ours are. And so, you know, we now live in a neighborhood where there are no neighbors that for most of us that you would want to be friends with. So we used to, especially in America, most families were kind of Christian. Like most families were kind of Christian. America was kind of built on that. And there were some, you know, buckets there, but still you would let your kids leave your house and play on the street with most of the people who lived in your neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. you could just walk over and have coffee with your friend, Jan. And it might be for 15 or 20 minutes, but it filled you up. It made you feel connected. And you could talk about things like potty training or a strong-willed child, and you could gather information. And then of course, you know, hundreds of years ago, that was the version of washing clothes together. Women would get together and they would wash clothes and you would just ask advice about your marriage and about how to cook food and about parenting. And so you didn't do it alone. Mm -hmm. And then we took all of that away somewhere around the nineties. We started getting really paranoid about letting kids outside. 
And then the internet happened, which may have added to our paranoia because we went to the internet. We're like, kids are being kidnapped all the time. Yeah, Of course, that's not statistically true. Um, and, and then really families stopped believing in God. And then we started going to the internet and we started yeah. watching social media and reading all of these articles, which are a very curated form of information. Mm-hmm. And it started making us feel really anxious. Sure. Right. And then we're eating crap food and feeding our eyes with really terrible stuff. And no wonder we're all so unhappy. Yes. Like it's not mysterious, you guys. It's not mysterious. I'm not like, what happened? We know exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And so the question is now that we have awareness and God will move your heart to Mm -hmm. awareness at the time that's right for you. Everything that you do or don't do is driven by a feeling. And we're very bad at feeling our feelings. Okay. You're very bad at that. All of you. I don't need to know you to know that if I say, what are you feeling right now? Most people give me the big buckets, happy, mad, sad, glad, upset. It's very powerful to get much more nuanced than that. Right. And Mm -hmm. to say, I'm feeling really rejected. I really have realized that there's almost only one skill that we need, which is to have peace. Mm. Okay. Because I can teach you to feel all your feelings and label all the feelings and all of the thoughts. But if you actually just do this one thing, which is just notice like right now, do I have peace Mm. or do I not have peace? Mm -hmm. Just that that one thing. And then think, what would I need to think right now to feel peaceful in this situation? Because Jesus promises us peace in any storm. Mm-hmm. He promises us 100% of the things on your calendar you chose. And that's where I try to lead women is to the their their own sense of agency. Agency means like having control or power. Sure. And so when I'm doing something I don't feel like doing, okay, like a super lame church event and they like put it on, but you feel all this pressure and everybody's going and you don't want to go and you know the kids are going to yep. cry because it's a terrible time. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you feel that sense of like resistance or bitterness or yuckiness in your body. Okay. You could just like feel it. When I feel that now, I just go, whoa, stop. Are we doing this or not? If we're doing it, we own that we do it. I will just tell you everything you want is on the other side of feeling your feelings because the worst thing that can happen to you in your entire life is a feeling. That's mm. it, my friend. Otherwise, you're going to die and go to heaven. We all hope, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. So the, the worst thing that could happen to you is a, fe- a feeling. And if you can get really good at feeling your feelings, e- even the ones you don't like, then you won't be scared to do the things you really want to do in your life. Oh, I am so excited to be here. I'm looking forward to chatting today about my favorite topic, which is anxiety. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, from your kind of clinical experience, right, as a professional counselor, um, do you see anxiety being something that's more common today in adults, um, as it is among children, or is it always been there and we just haven't acknowledged it? Like, what are you seeing? Well, honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. And if you were to read my book, you're going to learn that I come from a perspective of God made our bodies and our brains amazing to keep us alive and to love us. Right. Yeah. But sometimes we have stimulus that our body sees and says, oh my gosh, like this is dangerous, but it's not. There's two parts of the brains we talk about. So if you take your hand like a fist, if our listeners do that and they push it up to the sky, your arm is like your spinal cord, right? And then if you take your finger up your arm into the middle of your hand, 
that's where this part of your brain called the limbic system is. And the limbic mm -hmm. system's job is to keep you alive. It regulates your hormones, your respiration, all of that. And it's the part that says you're safe or you're not safe. And mm -hmm. then it goes up into the front where like our forehead is, which is our frontal cortex, our higher level thinking. And it mm -hmm. says, okay, well, if we're not safe, what are we going to do? How are we going to process this? But when there's a bear, the, the limbic system or what I call the animal brain takes over. And it's like, oh my gosh, I got to take over. I got to keep us safe. Has anxiety increased? Yes. Tons mm -hmm. in our kids, in our adults. And that's because we are living in a state in our world right now where we're in fight or flight for a really long time. I think there's mm -hmm. an overall feeling that people aren't realizing how impactful the pandemic was. Sure. And so... There was a scientist once who talked about the uh, Maslow ha Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And this mm -hmm. is like a pyramid. Think about the food pyramid. And the bottom is like our safety. And then mm. it's like feeling, and that's like our food and safety and all of those biological needs. And then it goes to feeling like connected with our family. And we go up this until we can fully be ourselves. Mm -hmm. We live in a world that needs you to click. And they need you to check the story. And so mm -hmm. what are most of the stories that we read? A recession's coming. There's going to be supply issues. You might not get that cereal. What is? We're living in a state right now of unknown and a place mm -hmm. where our brains would once say, oh, that would never happen. Sure. But the pandemic taught our brains, wait, things can happen. And mm -hmm. so I do feel like just the state of the world that we're in is very unsettling. There's not a lot yeah. of places to just rest in comfort. And I think that's mm -hmm. adding to where it's just growing. But what, from your kind of clinical perspective, like what are some indicators to be like, oh, this is actual anxiety as opposed to like, oh, I'm just a little stressed or like, oh, I can push through. Like, what are the indicators that I have anxiety as an adult? Well, and some people might debate with me on this, but I would say most people suffer from anxiety. Like I would like to have a long talk with the people who say they don't. Um, <laughs> and my, and, and the thing is stress can be made into worry. Worry is anxiety. What are things I can't control? Right. Mm -hmm. So I would say that most people function on some basic level of anxiety um, in a, on a regular basis. But sure. the question is, what do we do about it? Um, mm. on my website, I talk about what is mental wellness, which is like, I can look at this pandemic or I can look at a recession or I can look at a job change and I can say, okay, like it's reasonable to be nervous about this. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of unknown. And then mental wellness is like, okay, what support system do I have to help me through that? What ways sure. can I manage this? How can I keep moving forward so that I'm making decisions in my life, not my anxiety? How do we know when when it's gotten too too out of control? Like you mentioned, like okay, anxiety is making all the decisions. What are some other factors? Like maybe like okay, like my anxiety is taking over as opposed to just one of the many things that I'm navigating as an adult, as a human. Well, I think the first thing is you're going to notice the physical signs, right? Okay. So literally, a lot of digestive issues can be related to anxiety. Um, I'm not sleeping. Um, I would say you're isolating, you know, you're mm -hmm. not going and seeing those people that you used to see 
because depression and anxiety are very closely related. And a lot of times it starts with, I feel anxious and I call it the hamster wheel. So I feel this anxious response and I don't like it. Well, now I'm anxious that I'm anxious. Well, now Mm -hmm. I'm really mad at myself that I'm anxious that I'm anxious, which makes me even more anxious. And now I'm like sad and mad at myself for these feelings and they just keep growing and growing and growing. And so I would say, again, those things where if you're not living your life, if you feel that like you're not going to those events, I mean, you're not enjoying your your marriage and your children and you can't see those moments where the where there's good, but all you see is fear, then mm-hmm. I would highly recommend like looking into seeing like, how can I learn some tools to help me with this. The first and most important thing, if if your listeners can take anything from this message, and it is very much like told in my book over and over again, is that the first step is realizing that you are not bad because you suffer from anxiety. That it is a natural and good response that is just Mm -hmm. to the wrong stimulus. right? Right. I tease it in my book of like, by the end, I hope you can thank God for your anxiety. It's not Mm -hmm. a weakness. Like I have lots of very intelligent people who suffer from anxiety and they're like, I'm so smart in all these other ways. Why do I keep falling into this anxiety? And there's really a biological cause that we can understand. So the the -hmm. reality is, is the first step is realizing that you are good, that God created you good. You are loved and you are absolutely enough. And anxiety doesn't change that. Most people are actually producing the stress hormones 10 to 15 minutes before they are even able to acknowledge it. So if you think about that as like a a faucet in your kitchen, the water is going and you don't see it till the sink is pretty full and you're like, ah, right. And so the key is to start becoming aware of that. Like once you're anxious, start feeling it. And then the Mm -hmm. key is to give yourself grace because you're just learning the skill. So you're right. Mm -hmm. Most people, when they first start, it takes a while, but the more Mm -hmm. you do it, the more your brain gets used to acknowledging it until you're, it's more automatic. Like, oh, I feel that heart rate going up. I'm going to do this. And then the Mm -hmm. response actually is less after time. Walk us through a little bit, kind of your book in general, right? The Catholic Guide Through Anxiety. And what is, or what do you see as the Catholic response to anxiety? How does our faith help? Like, talk us through that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And anxiety makes us feel like we are not enough. If mm. you boil down most people's anxious feelings, there mm-hmm. is a fear that I am not enough. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the whole beginning of the book is I am going to biologically show you why you are absolutely enough. And I am going okay. to reject that hypothesis. And you're okay. going to have, it's not fruity and fluffy. It's very like, I'm going to tell you the science of why you are absolutely wonderfully made and understand Mm -hmm. that. And then the second part of the book is like, okay, once we understand how our brains work and what is happening with anxiety, let me tell you why taking deep breaths work. Let me Mm -hmm. tell you why drinking caffeine right before you go to bed does not help our racing our thoughts at night, right? Let's talk about how do we go to sleep? Here's some tools to help us like, be able to put those concrete thoughts down and give them to Jesus for the night so that we can sleep. And so it, it weaves like the beauty of the sacraments, like grace and God's love for us. And how, if we know how we're made, 
we can mm-hmm. see that God knew the whole time what we were going to need. And he gave us everything in the church. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, prayer is a big part of that. But like example of adoration. Okay. Mm-hmm. When we go to adoration, not only are we in front of God and there's the spiritual benefits of it, but it is quiet. Mm-hmm. It is calming. There's the lights and the smell of the candles. And it is like, yes, this fills our heart, right? Confession. Mm-hmm. Let's think about how much of our I'm not enough are things that we've mm-hmm. done in the past that God is like, look, I already forgave you of those. Like, we're so mm-hmm. good. You are good. Do not believe the lies of the world. And, um, you were created good. You are loved. And anything that you're saying right now in your head, like, yeah, but if she knew, honestly, I probably know. And I am telling you those things do not change how good you are. And like God wants your healing and he wants to be there helping you. He has given counselors to support. There are resources out there. Like you can, you don't have to allow anxiety to rule your life because you are good. Self-care is a little bit easier in the summer months because it's nice out. There's lots to do, but the winter I think is just its own its own animal when it comes to self-care for sure. What about winter and like kind of winter time makes I think self-care more complicated or more difficult for us to to work on? Yeah, I would say I think with winter, there's a lot of, you've probably heard the term seasonal depression before and the term winter blues, right? So there's a little bit of overlap between the two, but they're also different. So seasonal depression is a clinical diagnosis, and that is more about you know having clinical levels of depressive symptoms that only occur or worsen during the winter months. The thing with depression is that it needs to be, it has to affect your ability to function on a daily basis, right? So having trouble getting out of bed and everything. Uh, So people do experience that, that is very much a real thing. So you've got that sort of the clinical diagnosis, and then you have the winter blues, which I would say you could almost describe as like subclinical, right? Mm-hmm. So you you feel a little bit lower energy. You're not as peppy in the winter time. I think given the limitations of the season, but also given some of the unique things about the mm-hmm. season too that make it special, right? Seasonal depression or the winter blues happen. And, you know, there's, yeah, I guess different theories. You know, some people um, see that there's not, or researchers theorize like there's a, a decrease in vitamin D levels. So that mm-hmm. could play a role. Um, also, with I think low serotonin and melatonin production, there's some mm-hmm. theories about that too. Okay. And it's more common in the northern uh, parts of mm-hmm. the world. So sure. where it gets colder. And it's also more common in women than men, surprisingly. It does depend on the person, I think, because the holidays can be a welcome distraction in a way, right? It's easy to throw yourself into it. There's a lot of meaning around Mm -hmm. the Advent season and Christmas. Um, There's, yeah, so many like rich traditions once January hits. There's really nothing to look forward to. And then, you know... Lent comes, right? And but also I think for some people, the holidays can be really difficult because it does sort of emphasize feelings of loneliness that someone might have or isolation or if they're missing a family member. If somebody's feeling blue down a little bit during the winter, what is a 
easy is probably not the way to say this, but how can we tell the difference between like clinical, I should go see a therapist, I need help, I, I may be having depression versus I'm just having the winter blues right now and I need to find, you know, just good self-care routines. The easiest thing or like guiding principle, I guess you could call it would be if you feel like you can't handle it on your own. Hmm. Um, so if it's affecting your ability, like I said earlier, to function on a daily basis, so it's affecting family life, it's affecting your ability to care for yourself, you're isolating mm -hmm. yourself from friends or family, work is suffering or school is suffering. Or if you feel like I don't know how to do this on my own, those are always usually good signs that you're needing some extra support in that. Um, and I think you never mm. have to justify your reason for going into therapy, mm. right? So you don't have to, you don't have to say, oh, well, I'm sort of meeting their criteria for mm. seasonal depression. And so that means it's okay for me to go in. You could absolutely just hate the winter or be feeling kind of low or struggling for ideas and you can come into therapy and still benefit from it. All right. So let's talk winter self-care tips, tricks, <laughs> Give us, give us the whole tea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I usually break self-care into four to five different categories, but four is easiest to keep track of. So I break it down into physical self-care and then mental slash emotional. So sometimes I break those into two, but we can keep them together for today. Um, relational self-care and then spiritual self-care. And so the idea with that is they are four distinct categories, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you are addressing one of those areas, there's going to be like a spillover effect into the others in a positive way, right? If you start addressing some physical self-care things, it will help you feel better mentally and emotionally, mm -hmm. and then probably will reflect positively in your relationships, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing I think that's helpful is to capitalize on what this season brings. Like I mentioned earlier, thinking about, you know, not just the deficits of the season, but thinking about, you know, what are some of the positives there too. So like, for example, I think with physical self-care, obviously sleep is really important. Nutrition is really important, right? And then um, I mentioned earlier, there's that theory about vitamin D and, um, you know, low mood or feelings of tiredness in the winter. So I think with all of those, like there's just those three examples, right? So making sure you are on a good sleep schedule and that, you know, maybe you want to adjust and do, you know, you wake up a little bit earlier when it's lighter out and you're going to bed a little bit earlier than you normally would. And then I think getting up, maybe this is more winter specific, but getting up at the same time every day as much as possible. So not hitting the snooze, right? Because you're going to feel more tired and you're going to want to stay in bed, but that's mm -hmm. not actually going to give you the rest that you need, right? <laughs> um, and so that kind of brings us to the vitamin D level. So a lot of researchers say that it's important to, even if you're not, because the sun is so low, you might not get actual vitamin D, but getting your eyes on the sun, right? So getting out in the morning, even just standing outside for a little bit to get the light. And mm -hmm. researchers say that helps to set your circadian rhythm and, and, you know, get yourself on track. It does require some discipline and it's not necessarily fun to like take the covers off and have it be icy cold, right? As you get out of bed. But I think thinking about, you know, what, what can I do to set myself up for success so that I'm really going into my day not feeling like tired and drained. Um, all right. So let's move on to another category. What's, what's another category that for self-care? Yeah, I think, I mean, mental and emotional is a really good one. And I think 
that is more about watching how you're thinking. We, if we tend more towards negative thoughts or you're feeling more hopeless or down, it's more likely that you'll have those, those types of negative thinking patterns. So recognizing when you're using them and challenging them or replacing them with more of a realistic thought mm-hmm. rather than, you know, not something that's uh, like fake positive, but something that is, you know, like, it's fine. If it's not fine, it's not fine. <laughs> you know, but keeping an eye on how you're thinking and being really intentional about how you're speaking to yourself or what you're thinking about so that you're using more I would say like encouraging and compassionate and realistic language and thoughts as opposed to, um, you know, kind of fanning the flames of some of that negative thinking. All right. So what about spiritual self-care? How do we do that during the winter? Spiritual self-care is pretty straightforward, or I would say there's lots of options just because you can really kind of, you know, Advent in the Easter season really provides like a context for you to focus your spiritual life on. And so I think just kind of choosing how you want to like live out those seasons, I think is a great form of self-care, taking advantage of what the season has to offer. Mm -hmm. And really with your spiritual life, you've got these very unique periods in the liturgical year that are just so Mm -hmm. rich and there's so much to draw from. So I think it's almost like an embarrassment of riches here. And you really just have to choose what resonates with you. And then back to what you were saying earlier, Katie, about like personalizing it, right? So finding something that fits with where you are in your life and what you can and can't do. Right? Thinking of your spiritual life like another relationship, I'm be- mm. the most important one and thinking about, okay, am I putting the time in, am I giving quality time? So not necessarily quantity, but quality time to my relationship with God. And mm-hmm. that is your spiritual life, right? I feel like that's an easy transition into the relational <laughs> side of self-care. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just those feelings of isolation that can happen organically, like I said, because it's just, you're not as out and about as much in the winter. And um, so there can be that. And that can almost like reinforce any emotional feelings of isolation that we have that stem from the winter blues or seasonal depression, right? Um, And so I think it's a big part of that is being intentional about making sure you are spending time with with friends and in the right way, I would add Mm -hmm. too, right? So if you're an extrovert, you're going to need to see people a lot more and you're probably going to have to prioritize that a lot more than someone who's introverted, right? But an introvert has to be careful that they don't go too long without scheduling that time with friends, right? Because then it's like, oh my gosh, I have become a little hermit hibernating and haven't seen anyone. Curious for somebody who is listening to this now and is like, okay, all four of these areas I'm kind of struggle busting in right now, right? Like this is difficult. Um, where do I begin? I think the easiest and honestly, I think the best way to go is just pick pick one thing, right? And pick one thing that seems doable that you know with a little bit of effort you could achieve, right? So if you think about like your comfort zone and challenging yourself, right? If if one was, this is so easy, I could do it in my sleep. I don't have to think about it. And five is like, oh my gosh, this takes a lot of effort, right? You're going to want to choose like something that's a two or a three, right? So if you've never worked out before, for example, then you don't want to say, okay, I'm going to work out five to six days a week doing this like 45 minute intense workout, right? You might say, okay, 
three days a week, I'm going to go outside for a 10 minute walk. And like, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to let those thoughts come and say, well, I don't know, you should be walking longer. Or, you know, I can't believe you have to start quote unquote, this small, what's going to make the biggest difference and require the smallest amount, I would say of effort, and like equipment and cost and anything Mm -hmm. like that, right? And just think like, what's the one thing it doesn't have to be glamorous, it doesn't have to be showy, you know, but what's one thing I can commit to doing consistently, and let me set the bar kind of low for myself so that I can then keep increasing the bar as I'm establishing this, right? And as it becomes more of a habit. And then ideally, you start to see some of the payoff, right? You start to notice, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe I still hate getting out of bed in the morning, but I'm seeing how doing that and committing to it, I'm feeling better. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Podcast. If you enjoyed it, there are a few quick things you can do to support us. Share this episode with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, or visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org. And remember, while this is the last episode of season three, we will have our annual Christmas reflection published in December, and we will launch season four in January.